All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pride Boss. I know that it's been a little bit of a hot minute since we've had a new episode, but super excited today. We have a local guest with us, Megan Kuntz. Um, Megan, we finally did it. We are having our episode today. I am really so excited to talk to you. And yeah, like we were talking about before, I feel like us trying to get together for this conversation has just been a metaphor of what 2020 has been like for all of us. Absolutely. We've had some family things. We've had weather things. Like who would think that we would have been dealing with a tropical storm slash hurricane last week? It's just been a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what else is going to happen before it's all said and done, but you know, it's all good. We're all in this together and I'm glad that we finally have this chance to connect and, and chat. Yes. Amen to that. And for those of you listening, Megan works as the Prevention and Delta Coordinator for the Sunrise Domestic and Sexual Violence Center. Um, She's an advocate, a writer, and is part of the PASCO YCAP program that promotes community education around those topics. So Megan, thank you so much again for joining. I'm super excited to talk to you and hear all about what you're doing. Yeah, I am so excited to chat with you as well. I really like your podcast. I've listened to almost all of the episodes and uh, just love that you're highlighting LGBTQ people in the workplace because I think that, you know, thankfully representation in the media is increasing, but a lot Mm -hmm. of times representation still centers around trauma and coming out and what that whole process looks like. And so hearing stories from people who are, you know, in their fields and the workplace, thriving, doing excellent work. Um, I think that's representation that we're really missing. And I'm really excited that you're highlighting that and really exposing, you know, there's so much life after coming out and so much life after that whole process. And yes. that doesn't have to be the only LGBTQ representation we see in podcasts and media. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. You're making me virtual blush. (laughs) (laughs) So Megan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. How did you become so active in our community? Sure. So, um, you know, I grew up in a really conservative place, a really um, religious community. And I think religion can be a really beautiful experience for a lot of people. But for me, it was definitely not that. And um, I just experienced a lot of of hatred towards the LGBTQ community. And so that's what I was kind of raised with. Um, and then I started coming out when I was in college. And um, that was a really hard experience for me just to be really honest about that part of myself because I wasn't able to be honest about it when I was still living at home and when I was still really um, steeped in that religious community. And so it was a very freeing experience for me. And um, it's been really tough, the whole coming out process, but I've learned so much through it. And I've really, uh, I think it's just shown me that it's so important to stand up and speak up for marginalized individuals, even if you don't fully understand their experience, even if it's not your own lived experience. There are people who are experiencing discrimination just because of who they are, who they love, what the color of their skin is, what religion they are. You know, there's so many people who are experiencing um, discrimination for things that are outside of their control. And it's important that even if we don't um, understand those experiences and haven't lived through those, that we are still willing to stand up and speak up. And I think that whole coming out process, um, just coming from the background that I did really helped me with that. And 
that kind of translates a lot into the work that I do um, because I would really identify as a survivor of spiritual abuse and emotional abuse, but um, there are still a lot of aspects of domestic violence, dating violence, and stalking that experienced. And so um, just being willing to, to stand up for survivors and to educate the community and help prevent violence before it ever happens, um, those are just really important things to me as an individual. I love that you're taking your experience and you're helping others understand and have that awareness and education. And actually, for those listening, we actually connected through Instagram, through your YCAT channel, through your yes. Instagram. And I just, I loved all the stuff that you guys were talking about and the conversations that you were having to make it so just easy to start to have that engagement, especially with LGBTQ youth. So can you tell us a little bit about Pasco YCAT and what you guys are doing there? Sure. So I'll kind of touch on um, the, the shelter that I work at specifically, just because that's kind of where the magic is happening. So, yeah. so Sunrise of Pasco County is a certified domestic and sexual violence uh, center. And we offer a lot of services for people in the community. Um, and we offer intervention services. So intervention is after the violence has happened, what can we do to help empower survivors and help them take back their lives and um, just continue to move forward in, in their relationship with themselves and their relationships with others. And so we have a 40-bed shelter um, for people who have experienced violence and need to flee violence. We have a 24-7 hotline. We offer legal, legal advocacy for survivors, so we'll go to court with them and help them gain, you know, injunctions for protection. And um, we have uh, advocacy for, for survivors who need help economically. So learning how to dress for interviews and creating a resume and um, just kind of doing some practice runs of what interview questions might be asked and how can we help them get jobs and become financially independent. And we also provide assistance with housing. So how do they navigate the housing system and how can we help them find resources there? And we have counseling services um, for, participants so they can come and, and get those services for free. And everything we do is free of charge. It comes at no expense to the survivor whatsoever. We're just here to empower and partner with them and really try to figure out a plan for uh, where do you see yourself and where do you want to go in your journey and how can we help you have hope and know that you are capable because for many survivors, they've been told for so long that they're not capable of mm -hmm. doing many things and just giving that power back to them. Um, and then where my team comes in, we work on the prevention side, so trying to stop violence before it ever happens. And so part of what I do is the YCAT program, which stands for Youth Community Action Team. So we go out in the community um, with middle schoolers and high school students. We go to youth groups and Boy Scout meetings and just anywhere where the youth are and where we are invited, we will go. And we take those opportunities to just talk to teens about um, shifting boundaries. That's what we call our shifting boundaries program. And typically it's around eight weeks long. And we give one session a week for eight weeks to the particular group that we're speaking to at the time. And we just talk about um, setting healthy boundaries for yourself. And what does that look like? And we talk about gender stereotypes and how can we navigate that? And how does that impact relationships and sometimes mm -hmm. perpetuate this cycle of violence that we're seeing. And we talk to them about um, hotspot mapping and what are areas in your school or your community that feel safe for you and don't feel safe for you. And how can we help make those spaces that don't feel safe 
a little bit more accommodating for you and how can we help empower you in that um, among other things. So those are just some of the things that we touch on um, in, those, in those sessions with students and we just try to give them the tools that they need to, to make sure that they are setting healthy boundaries for themselves. So when they notice the signs of stalking or dating abuse or sexual abuse in their own life, they can recognize those signs and try to cut that relationship off or shut it down before it goes any further than that. And so that's really the goal is to start seeing violence decrease in our community because intervention is fantastic and it's great. And we are so thankful to have those resources and provide those resources for survivors. But again, how do we stop violence before it ever happens? So nobody has to experience that trauma and nobody has to try to figure out how they're going to get out of those really negative situations. And so that's kind of a bit about why cats. I think what you guys are doing is so critical because you touched on this earlier with the media, right? We do, we do try to drive awareness. There is education around domestic violence and, and relationship, you know, what to look for in terms of abuse and things. But the majority of that is around heterosexual relationships, right? Absolutely. And I was actually reading an article the other day. It's an older one. I think it's from 2018 from the NCAVD which I believe stands for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Look at you go. I'm sorry if that's wrong. Um, no, that was correct. But, 100%. Um, yeah, and it, and it was talking about that, about how it's kind of skewed right now. We're making gains to that. But the craziest thing was that, you know, within that research was that LGBTQ members fall victim to domestic violence and other violence at equal or even higher rates compared to their heterosexual partners or, or counterparts, right? Mm -hmm. And today is Transgender Day of Remembrance and especially transgender community within our own community um, is especially targeted for domestic violence and just and just regular hate crimes, right? So what, you know, what are, what are your thoughts around that and, and what you guys are doing to help prevent that or get the word out? Yeah, I really appreciate that question and uh, like you said, the trans community is just at such a high risk for, for violence, unfortunately, just because they're living openly and honestly and just being who they are, people see that as an excuse to dehumanize them and to, um, to commit violence against them. And like you said, I mean, the trans community, this has been the deadliest year on record for, for trans people in our country, which is so sad and it's such a harrowing day but also a day that we get to honor our trans family and tell them you know we see you we love you we honor you and that's something that we're really trying to do here at, at sunrise and with ycat and other programs that we have you know we are a non-discriminatory um, provider of services and so when survivors of violence come to us and have questions or need assistance we you know if they don't disclose that they're trans that's totally fine but if they do we're not going to turn them away we're not going to say you know this is not for you it is for them and we actually have our rural program um our rural advocates the grant that uh, funds that program they're specifically trained to help um the lgbtq community and so we have a, a lot of community partners that serve the LGBTQ community. And so we partner with them 
on events and training and we try to do training with all of our staff every single year about you know using the right pronouns and using the correct language and being culturally humble and sensitive towards the LGBTQ community. And so there's never going to be any sort of discrimination. Um, and you know, Pasco County specifically is, uh, it still has a ways to go when it comes to LGBTQ inclusion. And that's not a secret. That's not something that anybody's trying to hide or deny. And um, Pasco's first pride was about two years ago. And for the past two years, Sunrise has been involved in pride and you know shows up for those events and tables at those events and talks to people in that community and so even if somebody is not experiencing violence just to see organizations in the community showing up to that particular event and saying you know like we see you and we're here for you and we stand in solidarity with your community if they do experience violence, hopefully that they would remember that and they would remember seeing somebody from our organization at that event and know like, this is for me. This is not just for heterosexual people. This is not just for straight people. I can seek these services as well. So we don't necessarily have services specifically for the, for the LGBTQ community or the trans community, but all of our services that we provide we provide to those individuals as well. And it's all confidential and it's all safe. And, you know, we recognize that there are certain barriers to seeking service that right. LGBTQ clients are going to um, experience that maybe other participants would not, you know? So maybe the fear of being outed by an abusive partner or the fear of being outed to friends and family if they disclose this information. Um, the fear that this is going to reflect badly on their entire community if they come forward and tell their stories, right? Just these little nuances where the cycle of power and control that kind of lends abuse happening, it, it still exists in these relationships, definitely, but there are still little barriers and nuances that other people are not going to experience. And so we're trained to kind of recognize those situations and um, try to serve our LGBTQ participants and let them tell us their stories and really listen to those experiences and try to tailor our services in a way that meets them wherever they are and helps kind of take down those barriers in any way that we can. So there's a lot of ways that we can do that. And of course, with the youth specifically, um, when we're in schools talking to youth, we make sure to try to include a variety of scenarios when we're talking so they hear and see themselves represented in the discussion. And we also make sure that we're asking students their pronouns and their, you know, the name that they use for themselves. Um, so we can just be honoring of that and create that safe space for them. So that's kind of a, in a nutshell, the services that we provide for the LGBTQ community and for LGBTQ youth specifically. I love that. And I love that you guys are being so inclusive and really understanding all the different aspects of it and, and being able to unify those resources. I think it's something that, you know, across our nation, we struggle with. Um, comparatively to other countries, but 
Um, and, and not to get overly political, but obviously the, the political climate, right? We kind of have to acknowledge that it's, it's, it's very hard to do certain things um, when, when we are in the state that we're in right now, but change is coming, right? So um, I'm yes. very, very hopeful for that. And uh, thank you guys just for everything that you do that you're continuing to do. And I guess my, my next question is, you know, from your perspective and everything that you see from a day-to-day -day perspective, what can we do as a society to help our youth understand this and how can we be an ally and help? Yeah, I think just not letting biases dictate whether or not you're going to speak up and say something when you see something. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times there's still such a disconnect um, just because of the lack of representation, just because of the current political climate, no matter what it is, you know, um, there's, there's going to be some biases that people have, but recognizing people's humanity above all else, and even if there's something about an individual that you don't necessarily agree with, or that goes against something that you personally hold as a value that you have, um, you know, that is something that's personal to you, but if you see violence happening, if you see or notice something suspicious, you know, if you, if you see uh, an LGBTQ couple outside of a restaurant that seems like they are having a fight, like don't let your personal biases take away the fact that those people are still people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something we see a lot. And again, I think a lot of LGBTQ people are afraid to come forward because they don't want it to reflect badly on the entire community. They don't want people to, to think that this happens to every single LGBTQ person because there's so many stigmas that already exist surrounding mm -hmm. the community. And so just being willing to recognize, you know, domestic violence doesn't discriminate. Um, and if you, if you see something happening, you should still feel the need to say something and intervene if possible, even if it's even if it goes against some bias that you that you already have. And I think also, you know, pronouns are a huge thing. Using the correct name to identify people is a huge thing. There's so much research that exists surrounding LGBTQ youth that if you are using their correct pronouns and using their name, the likelihood of them being depressed or attempting suicide goes down drastically. And it's such simple things um, and it's just about advocating for your school to change a student's name in their IT system so it shows up on the roster and the bus roster correctly so they get identified correctly. You know, it can be really little things that truly make such a huge impact on youth. And um, if you know an LGBTQ person, specifically somebody who is a younger individual who may have just started coming out or may still really be in that process, checking in on them and asking how you can support them and really trying to be an ally because who knows if they're getting that from their family at home or wherever they live. Um, just if you know somebody, checking in on them and making sure that they're doing okay. And uh, especially right now with the pandemic, um, Obviously, mental health is a, a big struggle for everyone, but I think LGBTQ people are specifically um, at a high risk because before the pandemic, LGBTQ youth were at a higher risk of anxiety, depression, and suicidality. 
and LGBTQ youth are 120 times more likely to experience homelessness than straight youth. And so obviously youth are spending a lot more time at home and a lot less time around potentially supportive peers and teachers. And so that puts them at an incredible risk to continue experiencing these things at a much higher rate. And so just if you know someone being willing to check in on them and see how they're doing and see what's going on at home and how you can be supportive of them and making that a, a priority in your life. So those are a few ways I can think of that, that we can support youth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you touched on something like talking about the pandemic, right? Everybody's kind of been isolated, um, sticking closer to home for anything socially related, right? And, and the, the environment right now on social media is so intense. So mm -hmm. I can imagine like what you were saying, not being around those supportive people. And then you get on Facebook and my God, the things that you're seeing on Facebook of people fighting and being really nasty and ugly towards each other. Um, right. even, even in some of our own LGBTQ groups that I've seen that I'm a part of, I'm just like, I cannot believe people are, are cyberbullying like that. So mm -hmm. it is so important, like you said, to reach out to people, to reach out to youth, make sure they're okay. And you know, my hope is that the people that are listening to this, maybe they're a parent, right? Um, or maybe mm -hmm. they, they have a best friend or they have a, a family member um, that this applies to. So Megan, where could we find uh, some of those resources, right? Whether it's through with you guys, what you guys do or uh, anonymous sources that, that can help um, individuals reach out and have this awareness and education brought to them. Yeah, and that's a great point that, you know, people can reach out to our hotline or the National Domestic Violence Hotline if they have questions. You know, they don't have to be experiencing abuse or any sort of violence to call and just get some answers of how can I be supportive. So I'm really glad that you brought that into it, but you can find us at Sunrise Pasco, which is P-A-S-C-O.org. And our hotline number is 352-521-3120. Um, and that's a great place to just learn more about what we do in general um, and, you know, the services we provide. And if you need help or just need to talk, that's a great resource. Um, you can find YCAT specifically on Instagram at PascoYCAT. That's our handle. And so we try to post a lot of resources for the community on uh, youth-specific um, you know, content and resources. So that's a great place to find us. And of course, you know, if you have any questions about if you live in the Pasco County area and want somebody to come and speak to your youth group or um, your Boy Scout group or your classroom, if you're a teacher, definitely reach out to us over Instagram or my email address. I can send that to you so you can post it in the the notes for the program, for the uh, episode or whatever works best for you, but I'm available to reach there and would love to, to provide any resources that we can to, to further this message and to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to prevent violence in our community from happening. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. And, and like you said, we will definitely post those links, um, put that information in, into the description, but really appreciate your time and everything that you're doing for the community, bringing awareness around violence and, and how to prevent it or to get help. 
I think it's so important and I think it happens more than we think, you know, especially for people that have not experienced that or, or kind of sheltered. I consider myself, you know, semi sheltered. <laughs> so, you know, I can't even <laughs> on, you know, what some of these people are going through, anybody is going through really. And um, so this is just wonderful what you guys are doing and we cannot wait to stay in touch and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show and for highlighting um, our story as an agency, but even more specific um, for youth who are in crisis. And, you know, the reality is one in three women and one in four men is going to experience violence in their lifetime. And that's not a small number. You know, if it's not you or me, it's somebody that we know, it's somebody that we love, it's somebody that we care about, even if they're not disclosing that information to us. And so there is a lot going on, but there's also so much hope for survivors. And that's why organizations like us exist. We're here to serve the community and we're here to serve anyone who needs our help. It, it doesn't matter what religion or um, you know sexual orientation or whatever, they're bringing to the table, whatever background they're coming from, that doesn't matter to us. What matters is how can we support them and help them get through what is a traumatic time of their life. And again, how can we prevent violence before it happens so we can start limiting the amount of trauma that people have related to domestic and sexual violence. So thank you for highlighting our voice and our story. And I just really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Megan. I appreciate it. And I think my takeaway from this is that at the end of the day, no matter what we're all going through, we have to remember that we are all human. We are, we are humanity together and we have to take care of each other. We got to do a better job at that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just checking in on each other, especially right now. And it's crazy because I feel like the people you least expect to not be doing well are usually the ones who are not doing well. And yes. so they just having those conversations and being vulnerable and also being willing to listen. And again, putting any biases that we have to the side and just really taking time to listen and try to understand somebody because unless something is your lived experience, there's no way that you're going to be able to grasp fully what people are going through, but it doesn't mean that you can't really listen and be empathetic and try to put yourself in their shoes and imagine what it would be like if you were going through something like they are. So really just active listening and also taking care of ourselves, you know, practicing self-care and when the Zoom burnout is happening, when the (laughs) whatever it may be is happening, knowing when we need to take a step back and walk away from the screen and walk away from social media and just go, for me, it would be the beach, you know, do whatever you need to do and have a have a self-care plan for yourself. You know, we safety plan with survivors a lot. And so try to help them come up with a plan of a safe exit from their mm-hmm. situation. And I think we can take that and practice it in our own lives and have a have a plan for self-care, you know, especially for people who are in the work of, of human services. Like what can we be doing to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and that we have that, that plan of um, being safe and, and emotionally being well. And so, yeah, I think that's something we can all do. And then I can do better for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Megan. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone who's listening. We really appreciate all the love that we've been getting for this podcast. And we're going to continue to do these podcasts. Um, We're trying to launch our website. So that is in progress, but um, definitely uh, reach out to us through our Instagram, through our Facebook, um, our Twitter. And again, thank you so much, Megan, for the great conversation.
Thank you for having me.